Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias. DC Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, brought to you by the Lockdown Podcast Network, where we are talking about your favorite teams every day. I'm your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Check out my bio there to see where I am covering the game of baseball, including the Atlanta Braves in written form over at tomahawktake.com. Also covering college baseball over at College Baseball Nation, Prospects for Prospects 1500, and the Birmingham Barons for Southside Sox. Also, please make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOn underscore Brave so that you can be a part of the conversation. Please subscribe to the Lockdown Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. And please, uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, or if you're not, just please go to YouTube and subscribe to the Lockdown Braves channel. It does help us out a lot here. And thanks for making Lockdown Braves your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And you got a busy Friday episode today. We're going to be ranking the best managers in the NL East. Also going to be answering some of your Twitter questions on the Braves team name, as well as Mark Waller's impact in Atlanta. Also the latest on the CBA with thoughts from Chipper Jones. And I'll tell you why the two sides aren't that far from an agreement. But let's start with ranking the best managers in the NL East. And um, Brian Snicker coming off a World Series win. I mean, this is a... This is a very deep group of managers in the NL East. I mean, it's one of the more competitive divisions in baseball. I know it's kind of underwhelmed the last couple of years, but you can't deny the talent in this division. And you look at the managers up and down. I mean, you've got multiple World Series champion managers. You have multiple manager of the year recipients in this division now with Buck Showalter coming in who has three manager of the year awards for himself so this is a deep group of managers but you know judging managers ranking managers that is a very difficult task and I just wanted to start by giving a couple of things that I look for when ranking a manager when rating a manager and I think the biggest one in today's game is how do they handle the bullpen you know, how aggressive are they with going to the bullpen? When do they use their top guys in high leverage situations? Um, so how you handle the bullpen, I think, is the number one uh, area for managers in today's game. Next is lineup construction. Obviously, how you order the lineup to get the most production. Uh, clubhouse atmosphere is a big one. Do the players enjoy playing for their manager? Um a lot of managerial decisions today are data-driven by the front office, so there's little that a manager really has to do in today's game, but I still think they are a key piece to a team, and I think those things I mentioned, you know, those are the aspects I look for in a manager to, whether, to judge whether or not they are a good manager. So I'm going to give you my rankings and just some key stats on some of these managers, how I would rank them. Number one, I would go Joe Girardi uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. This may be a bit controversial. I have always loved Joe Girardi. I wish the Braves would have got him uh, several years back now when he was available. But I've always loved Joe Girardi. I think he's done a, a good job in Philadelphia. Obviously, 
they've had trouble, you know, putting together the right pieces, specifically in the bullpen. Um, and they had some injuries last year. I think they would have given the Braves a better run for their money. I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, I think that Reese Hoskins injury just really crushed them with everything else they already had going on. But I love Joe Girardi, 2006 uh, Manager of the Year. Uh, 548 winning percentage over 13 seasons as a manager, a 2009 World Series champion with the Yankees, three division titles, five postseason appearances, and a 28 and 24 record in the postseason. So, again, you could you could rank these managers just about any way you wanted to. I've always just loved Joe Girardi. I think he is a great manager, so I got him at the top. I got Brian Snicker coming in at number two of the Atlanta Braves. 2018 NL Manager of the Year. I think he could have won it multiple times by now. A 531 winning percentage in six years. 2021 World Series champion. Four division titles, four straight division titles right now. With four postseason appearances. A 22-15 and 15 postseason record. Obviously helped out a lot by this past season. And I think he completely embarrassed Dave Roberts in the 2021 NLCS. I think he just completely outmanaged Dave Roberts in every way in that series. And honestly, I just thought he was great. And I've never been a huge Brian Snicker fan as far as an X and O's go on the field. And even his bullpen management at times has been questionable. You can um, argue whether or not he's too loyal to players sometimes. But this past postseason, it's obvious because they won, but I thought he was just absolutely brilliant with every move that he made, you know, riding his top arms in the bullpen. Um, the decision to go with Tyler Matzik in game four when the Braves weren't winning at the time, I mean, that ended up being a brilliant move as they came back and won that game. Who knows? He brings in, you know, a lesser reliever or somebody outside of that top four. What happens in that game? What happens in that series? I thought that was one of the most brilliant moves of the postseason. I mean, he pushed all the right buttons in this past postseason and really changed my mind on him a lot and how I view him as an X's and O's manager. Obviously, we all know Braves players love playing for him. He definitely gets a big check mark for the clubhouse atmosphere, uh, but he really, really showed me some things this past postseason with the way he managed. Even pulling Ian Anderson out after five no-hit innings, uh, I mean, I know he's going to take you know a lot of criticism for that, but I still think it was probably the right move. So I got Brian Snicker at number two. At number three, I went with Buck Showalter of the New York Mets. Um, he's going to have to prove it a little bit, obviously getting up there in age, but the guy's won three Manager of the Year awards. He won in 94 with the Yankees, 04 with the Rangers, and 2012 with the Baltimore Orioles. 506 winning percentage in 20 years, two division titles. Um, Yankees were also in first place in 1994 when the strike happened. Five postseason appearances, a 9-14 and postseason record. And that's been the one thing... Uh, the one knock on Buck Showalter, he hasn't been able to get it done in the postseason. He's kind of been that manager that, you know, he can build a team up, but he can't get them over the finish line. And the next guy usually comes in and does that. You know, it happened in New York. It happened in Arizona. Um, hasn't happened in, in Baltimore. But I still think he's a, you know, a really good manager. I think he'll be solid for the Mets. But I got him at three in the NL East. At four, I got Don Mattingly. I've honestly lost a lot of respect for Don Mattingly, probably why I have him that low, just for the feud between the Marlins and Braves and how he's handled all of that. But I still think he's a very good manager. I mean, having fourth on this list, you know, that's not any negative towards him. There's just some really good managers in the NL East. 
He was the 2020 NL Manager of the Year when he took the Marlins to the postseason in the COVID shortened season, a 49 winning percentage in 11 years, three division titles all coming when he was with the Dodgers, four postseason appearances, a 10-14 and 14 postseason record. And then last on the list, and again, this is the guy who won a World Series, but I got Dave Martinez of the Nationals last on this list. Uh, he did come in. He won that 2019 World Series, and I thought he was great managing in that World Series. He had you know, four or five arms that he really trusted, and those were really good arms, and that's what he rode uh, to win a World Series. So you know, I credit him for that there, very similar to what Brian Snicker was able to do this past season. But a 487 winning percentage in four years, uh, no division titles, just that one postseason appearance and 12-5 and record in that postseason. So, again, this is a very strong group of managers, all very good managers right here. I mean, you could you could rank these up just about any way you wanted to. I do think Brian Snicker, you know, if he, you can't always manage – in the postseason, like you do over 162, I get that. But even in Game 6, moving Ozzy down in the order, that was just a brilliant strategy, and it paid off in that game. And sometimes he's been slow to make that move, like putting Ronald Acuna Jr. up into the leadoff spot. You know, people were screaming it for weeks, maybe in months, before he finally did it. Even with Ozzy Alves, we I wrote articles about it. Please don't bat him first or second in the order. He moves him down in the lineup where I think Ozzy belongs, and he comes up big in the World Series. So sometimes he's a little bit slower to make some of these moves and decisions than some of us would like, but I still think, you know, this past year he really showed me something. And like I said, the players love playing for him, and that's that's big today uh, in being being a good manager. So that's how I rank them. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know how you would rank the managers in the NL East. We've seen the Washington football team and Cleveland baseball team change their names. Next, we'll talk about whether or not the Atlanta Braves will be the next major league team that is forced to change their name. This is the time of year I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not a resolution at all because I actually enjoy eating them. And have you tried their puffs? If you haven't, I'm telling you, you're missing out of one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They are great tasting and they're great for you. They're better than a candy bar and they taste just like a candy bar. But a typical candy bar can be anywhere from 200 to 300 calories. While most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, bunch of great flavors. White chocolate cookies and cream right now is one of my favorites. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 at Built.com for 15% off your order. All right, so a couple of questions here this week I want to, wanted to answer. First one is coming from Junior 10 on Twitter. Says, will the Braves be under more scrutiny for our name like we were in the playoffs? Also, if we had to change our name, which I don't think we will, what would you change it to? So, yeah, certainly being in the postseason, you saw some of this with um, fans, people around the country, you know, calling for the Braves to change their name. Look, I don't want to necessarily get in a debate about this. I will give you my thoughts and, and feelings on it. You know, I looked up the definition of the word Braves. You know, it's a North 
American Indian warrior. I don't necessarily see that as a derogatory um, name or something or, or to something to call a Native American. But it's not really up to me to say whether or not that's offensive because I'm not Native American. I can't answer that. Only someone who is Native American has the right to say whether or not that word braves is offensive. I don't feel that it is, but again, it's not up to me to determine that. The Braves of Atlanta has certainly toned down things, um, not doing the chop as much. I think they removed the tomahawk from some of their logos around the stadium, so they're definitely trying to dial it back. I also think the Braves have tried to do a much better job in recent years of including Native Americans around the ballpark. I noticed last time I was there they had a new display in the stadium talking about the history of Native Americans in the area. They also hosted the first ever Cherokee Traditions at Truist Park event back in November to celebrate Native American Heritage Month. So I think they're doing more to earn support and respect of the Native American community. That's certainly great something that probably should have been done a long time ago. But I think they're doing all of that because they don't want to change their name, and I don't think they, they should, and I don't think they will. Um, so I don't, I don't see them having to change their name anytime soon. You know, you look at the Florida State Seminoles, Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they don't seem to be taking as much heat uh, for the Braves for whatever reason. I think Florida State has the approval of the local uh, Indian tribe there is, is what I've read. Um, but if they were to change a name, I'd love to see them do something, you know, around Hank Aaron. I, I was hoping so much when they had the ability to change the name of the park that they would somehow incorporate, you know, Hank Aaron in there, you know, Truist Park at Hank Aaron Stadium or um, something like that. But obviously a lot of money goes into those deals. They didn't want to share the name with anybody else or anything else. But, you know, maybe something like the Atlanta Hammers. Uh, I don't know. That seems kind of corny when I when I say it, but... I, if they do have to change it, I hope it's something like that that can incorporate, you know, a Braves legend and um, an icon like Hank Aaron. But let me know what would you rename the team if you had to. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter and YouTube. And another question here comes from Chris uh, Shaffey on Twitter. He says, "How good was Mark Wollers for the Braves' success in his time in Atlanta?" Um, Wollers pitched for nine years in Atlanta with a 3.73 ERA and 386 in a third innings with 437 strikeouts. That's a 10.2 K per nine, but he had a whip of 1.385, which is not great, uh, mostly because of a 4.8 walk per nine. He did also have 112 saves, but he was outstanding in the 95 and 96 seasons. Obviously, them winning it in 95, should have won it in 96. Uh, he did not have a great World Series in that 96, but you know I would not put all the blame on him there. Um, but he had a combined 2.60 ERA and 1.17 whip in those two years, 190 strikeouts and 142 innings. Uh, that's a K per nine of 12, and he had a walk per nine of 2.9. So he had you know two really outstanding years there in 95 and 96 when the Braves obviously got to the pinnacle. Uh, he was outstanding in the postseason as well. He had two series. I mentioned the 96 uh, World Series that was rough. He had another one uh, later on. But overall, had a 2.35 ERA in the postseason in 38 and a third innings with 44 strikeouts and nine saves in 39 games. Look, the Braves had the starting pitching, you know, with Smoltz, Glavin, Avery, all those guys to go deep into games. They didn't need much out of their bullpen. Um, but what Wollers was able to do certainly was huge to help close out games and 
you know, you talk about his impact. You just look at that that 95 World Series and the confidence that Bobby had to take out Glavin after eight shutout innings. And I know I've heard Glavin quoted saying, you know, he was gassed, he was done. But still, you take out Glavin after eight shutout innings and give the ball in a one nothing game to Mark Wohler. So that tells you the kind of confidence that Bobby had in him and how much he believed in Wohler's in the back end. You know, he certainly won't go down as one of the most dominant closers of all time, but he does rank fourth in saves in franchise history and was a big part of that 1995 World Series team. Next, we'll get thoughts from Chipper Jones on the lockout, and I'll tell you why the two sides aren't as far apart as some may think. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full swing for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, I wanted to give a brief update on where the CBA talks are because that's what we're waiting on at this point to get baseball going again. I will say I'm a little bit optimistic as I record this on Friday afternoon. Sounds like the two sides are continuing to talk. They talked on Thursday, and then Buster Olney reported on Friday, and I'm quoting here saying, they are hopeful that renewed discussions of the 14-team playoff field could be a potential breakthrough for talks that need a breakthrough. Basically, what that means to me is owners really want this 14-team playoff. In fact, it was reported they already have a a TV deal with ESPN for a 14-team playoff. But this makes them a ton of money, so they really want this 14-team playoff. And so much so that they could be willing to give in to some of the players' demands in order to get that. But I'm just glad, like I said, to see both sides continuing to talk here. Um you know, they need to get something going quickly, obviously. And I wrote an article. Um, well, first, let's get Chipper Jones' comments first here. So we have some uh, video, if you're watching on YouTube, audio, uh, if you're just listening to the podcast of Chipper Jones on the lockout. And I wanted to share that with you right quick. One day after Major League Baseball and the Players Association couldn't come to an agreement on a new labor deal, reactions are pouring in from all sides. Players have voiced their frustrations on social media and former players are speaking out as well. Our Maria Martin spoke exclusively with Baseball Hall of Famer Chipper Jones about what this all means for the MLB. Major League Baseball and its players union are still at odds, unable to agree on a new labor deal. Games are canceled and the lockout continues. Earlier, I caught up with Braves legend and baseball Hall of Famer Chipper Jones on the future of the game. What do you think this is going to do in particular to the game of baseball? Uh, it, it, it'll certainly put a little bit of a black eye on it uh, for the time being. Look, we just got to concentrate on getting the two sides, you know, in a room, lock the door, crack the whip. Let's, let, you know, let's hammer something out because you're going to lose some fans. Um, the good thing is that time will heal all wounds. And I know as Braves fans, it's not really going to matter because we're defending world champs. Baseball fans are frustrated, but Braves fans in particular, I think, are a little more annoyed because they are coming off a World Series championship. Do you think it hurts the club at all or everyone's just kind of in the same boat? No, everybody's in the same boat. It's, you know, having been through one of these before when I was a rookie, it's frustrating because you work your whole life to get to the big leagues and then, you know, you got some kind of labor, you know, dispute. 
Um, it's unfortunate. Now, Chipper said he can't speak to anyone specifically when it comes to free agency. And yes, that includes Freddie Freeman. But he did say that once a new labor deal is agreed upon, this will be one of the craziest stretches we've seen. In 94, 95, it was a strike. It was, you know, player driven. Now it's a lockout. GMs are not allowed to talk to agents. They're not allowed to talk to players. So when this lockout is lifted, it is going to be a mad dash. It's going to be a fun time. You know, I mean, if you're a fan of the hot stove league, <laughs> it's going to be hot. To read more about why there's a lockout and the potential impacts from it, look for the story on 11alive.com. Uh, I certainly agree that time heals all wounds. And while fans are mad now, once baseball starts back up, I think a lot of us will forget about all of this and just enjoy the sport that we love. Um, so great comments there from Chipper Jones that I wanted to share with you. Um, I wrote an article on TomahawkTake.com the other day that I wanted to just briefly mention as well. And a lot of this comes from thoughts on from ESPN's Jesse Rogers, who's been covering the lockout very closely. And when you take a step back and look at the, everything that we know about where the two sides currently are, it doesn't seem like they're that far apart. And it seems like a deal is actually closer than most people might think. Um, they're not far off on minimums, on the minimum league salary. I think that can be knocked out pretty quickly. I think probably the biggest hurdle there is how much they should increase year to year with the owners at $10 million a year and the players at $20 million a year. But that they're not far off there. Owners already agreed to a pre-R pool, which is huge for the players. That's money to younger players that never existed before. That net money was never there before. So that's already a huge win for the players. Now it's just figuring out what the starting point is for that pool money. And I think if owners get to $50 million, that's probably the sweet spot that I think should be expected. They're currently at $30 million, so you know, not a huge gap there either. The big one is the CBT threshold with the players at 238 million, the owners at 220. Um, if the if the players can get them up even to just 225 as a starting point, I think that's a big win. Some of that will pin, depend again on how big the jumps are from year to year. That's probably been the one stubborn, or not one stubborn thing from the owners. They've had many stubborn points on this, as both sides have, but the owners haven't really given an offer where that, that number jumps much year to year. In fact, I think their latest proposal, it stayed the same for three years. So they're going to have to bend on that and allow it to jump up more year to year. But I think if you can get it at 225 and you get it to a point where they're you know increasing that 5 to $10 million every year, uh, I think that would obviously be a big win for the players, and I think that would get a deal done. But that's still probably the biggest ones there that they're far apart on. You know, owners have already agreed to take away draft pick compensation for free agency. That is huge for the players. Both sides agreed to a DH. That's really just kind of beneficial both ways, I believe. Owners agreed to a 12-team playoff, which is what the players wanted, over a 14-team playoff that the owners want, wanted, although it sounds like a 14-team playoff could be back on the table now. And they've agreed to lottery, a lottery for the draft to try and prevent teams from tanking, which the players really wanted. So, these are all huge gains for the players. I get it. These are moves that should have happened years ago. But, you know, all the big things we talked about in the offseason that the players needed, getting younger players paid, you know, getting that draft pick compensation 